If you don't like that, you're just a curmudgeon. That's what that is, huh? I, I don't know how, let me say, let y'all sing around here, but if y'all move to Milton, Florida, I'll let you sing every Sunday. They would look good in our youth choir, wouldn't they, Miss Fleur? Huh? I feel the Lord in that. That was a blessing. That was a blessing. And good to be in church tonight and good to see you again. I'm always amazed when somebody comes to hear me preach, but it always amazes me if they ever come back. And so the second night, I'm always afraid nobody's coming, but good to see you tonight. I hope that you've had a good day. I know that we've had. And where did we eat lunch at? The Hula Hala? Hala, what was that called? The Hala, the, the, the Hula Hut? That don't even sound Christian, does it, huh? <laughs> That's where we ate at. We ate at the Hula Hut today. And uh, anyway, had a, had a great time. I'll tell you what y'all need around here. Y'all need a parking lot. That's what y'all really need. (laughs) There are a lot of churches where you come early so you can get your back seat. But you you folks have to come early so you can park. And and, and so we came early and I parked. And I know that I parked illegally. I'm driving the preacher's car. And I I know it's illegally parked because I'm blocking two fire hydrants. But it's your car. It's your car. So, you know, ain't nothing I can do about it. We'll see if it's there when we get out. Well, Luke chapter 17, would you find it with me this evening? Luke chapter number 17. They say that nowadays you can't build a church with the King James Bible and Bible preaching and conservative singing and standards and separation. But they're wrong. They're wrong. It's happening here, isn't it? It's happening at our place. And uh, thankful for what the Lord is doing in our churches And I'm privileged to be able to go to some of the great churches in America, I feel like, and to preach in, and this is certainly one of them, and you know that, and uh, thank the Lord for what you have in this place. Luke chapter 17, I begin reading in verse 1, read down to verse number 6 for my text. Then said he, the Lord Jesus, unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him... Through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. I want to preach for just a little bit tonight. On what does a sycamine tree have to do with me? What does a sycamine tree have to do with me? The Lord Jesus starts a conversation with his disciples on a subject that all of us are very familiar with, and that is offenses. He said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And we really don't need a definition for the word because all of us are very familiar with offenses. Every person in this room has been offended or has been the offender more times than you can count. Some of us are easily offended. Some of us are hardly ever offended. 
But all of us are susceptible to being offended. You cannot live so kindly that everyone will love you at all times. Nor will you ever be so spiritual that you love everybody at all times. The Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I don't believe that I have yet arrived to the place where nothing could offend me. Now, we'll not take time tonight to give an essay on offense, but the Bible uses that word in a variety of ways. It has several different meanings. The word offense can be to offend as in to to, um, displease or or to make angry. Uh, We can offend somebody by rude language or by harsh language. The Bible says that a brother offended is harder to be won than than a strong city. Their contentions are like strong bars. That's one way of offending. Oh, the word offense as well can be to transgress the law. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one, he is guilty of all. The word offense can be to tempt somebody, to make somebody stumble. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, and I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I take, make my brother to offend. And we've all been offended. We've all been offended in a lot of different ways. We've all offended our brother in a lot of different ways. And Jesus said that you're not going to be able to live in this life with human relationships without offenses every once in a while entering into those relationships. And when somebody gets offended, we would say that they are hurt in their feelings. Feelings is a a touchy subject, but the truth is that you and I are a bundle of about a thousand emotions. Why just today I have been stressed, I have been calm. I've been frustrated, I've been understanding. I've been aggravated, I've been glad. I have just been an emotional wreck all day long today. (laughs) That's how every day is for me. And feelings and emotions are what makes us aware of ourselves. If you didn't have feelings, then you would be just kind of like a robot. But we have feelings so that I can express to you what is going on inside of me. And and it's good that I can express to you how I feel. If I I didn't have emotions, then I, I would not be able to do that. But how can you love God with all of your heart if you don't have feelings. Our our feelings are really a gift from God. It's how we express what is inside of our heart. It's how we have empathy. It's how a a child feels that he is loved. It's how a young person feels secure in the home. And feelings, feelings are not bad, but they do come with warning labels. And the warning label is not to be led by or controlled by your emotions. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Part of growing up is learning how to control your emotions, learning how to manage your feelings. And we learn that feelings are not infallible. Just because you feel it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. One of the things that we have to do is we have to guard against others manipulating our offenses. I have to be careful who I give access to my emotions. I have to put fences up around that because there are some people that get on my nerves. (laughs) There are some people that give me the heebie-jeebies and I just get ill will when I am around them. And I I can't let that happen. I can't let my emotions lead the way. I, 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 my emotions don't get to make decisions for me. We know it's not wise to make decisions based just on emotions. 
Now I have to bear that in mind or else my feelings would take over and they would run things if I let them. But they are to serve me, not rule me. And, and, and as wonderful as feelings are and be able to express our emotions, feelings can also be negative. I can have good feelings, I can have bad feelings. You can get hurt, you can get disappointed, you can be rejected, you can feel lonely. And, 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 and you can be wounded in your spirit, just like you are wounded in your body, but nobody sees the wounds in your spirit unless you choose to show that. If you walk in here with a broken leg, everybody would immediately know that there was something wrong by the limp or the cast or whatever it might be, and we would know that there is a broken limp, but you can come in with a broken heart and nobody would know that. And you can't treat a broken spirit like you treat a broken bone. There's no doctor, there's no emergency room, there's no medication, there's no prescription, there is no setting the bone, so to feel. So, so there's no cure for that, that, that physically that we have. A, a, a child that, that feels unloved by his parents, there's no pill that's going to fix that. Depression loneliness, sadness. You can take a prescription to mask it, but you can't take a prescription to cure it. You can take a pill to sedate you. You can take a pill to excite you, but you can't take a pill to fix it. And your body can't differentiate from physical pain and emotional pain. The same secretions that your body gives out in, in dealing with a broken bone is the same that it gives out in dealing with a broken spirit. It can't tell the difference between the two and there's no medicine for hurt emotions. Jesus is talking to his disciples about offenses. It takes place in the emotions. If you offend me, it is my feelings that you hurt. It is not my body that hurts, but, but it, is, it is my spirit that begins to suffer. And, 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 and oftentimes, the reason why we get offended is because we care more about our feelings than we do the feelings of somebody else. When somebody speaks sharply or rudely, or, or when somebody cuts you down, when somebody tells you that you're really not worth anything, you're not, you're not worth much, the reason why they do that is because they are selfish and they don't care if they wound your feelings. In fact, many times people will do just that because they don't care about you and they want to hurt you and they can't hurt you physically, so I'm going to hurt you emotionally. I, I can't strike you with my fist, so I'm going to smite you with my words. I may not be able to stomp on your face, but I'm going to stomp on your heart. I, I would get arrested if I did what I really wanted to do, but there's no law against me using my words to cut you down and making you feel like a heel. And depending on who it comes from, the pain caused to the emotions can be worse than the pain caused to the body. And Jesus said it is impossible that in this group, but that offenses will come. You may be the kindest, sweetest, loving everybodyest, peacemakingest person in the world, but you are going to be offended. You can't be so sweet that everybody is going to like you. There are 8 billion people on the face of this earth. You're going to upset at least one of them. And it doesn't mean that you don't care. 
Doesn't mean that you're harsh and brash and you're an ogre, but you're going to upset somebody somewhere down the road. And you may be the most secure man in your skin and nothing hurts me and everything rolls off of me like water off a duck's back. And I have such a strong disposition that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. But I promise you, That somewhere somebody is going to say something that is going to offend you. It may not mean to. It may be a big misunderstanding. It may be something taken the wrong way. But it is impossible for you to live your life above offense. But we want to. Because offense is so stressful. When you are offended, it it, it works on you. You think about it all day. You go to bed with it at night. You wake it up in the morning so it can be with you all day long. And offenses have a way of taking over our mind and demanding that I pay undue attention to just the offense. It is an amazing thing to me that in pastoring a church, I can have two or three hundred people that are doing great and have one knucklehead and we don't go home and talk about all the good people. We talk about the knucklehead. Why does he have to demand all of the attention? And that's how offenses are. And by the way, we are living in the land of offenses. We are living in a culture today where where everybody is offended about something and you can't say nothing to nobody because you're afraid they're going to get upset. Everybody's just on edge. It's just amazing. That the white people don't like the black people and the Mexicans don't like the gringos and the rich people don't like the poor people and the boss don't like the employer. And, it's, and, 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 and what politics does is politics divides us and makes us think that all of your problems is because of somebody else. I don't, have a, I don't have a Democrat bone in my body, all right? So I just put that out there. Don't, don't have a Democrat bone in my body and more and more don't have a whole lot of Republican bones in my body, to be honest with you. But, 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 but you know, it, 20 years ago, Republicans and Democrats were divided and we just knew that each other had crazy policies that we disagreed with, but we didn't hate each other. But now you gotta hate each other. That's what, that's, that's the culture that we live in. Our society is geared to pit us against each other. And I've never seen a time when you can't say anything to nobody because the whole world is on edge. And it matters. And it matters especially in a church. If you have offended somebody and you don't care. Or if you are the one with the offended spirit, it's going to affect your prayer life. It's going to affect your witnessing. It's going to affect your worship. It's going to affect your fellowship with God. That's why Jesus said, therefore they'll bring thy gift to the altar and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Here's what he said. He said, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus said, I don't want you special I don't want you teaching Sunday school. I don't want to hear you preach. I'm not interested in your testimony. What I want you to do is I want you to leave your gift there. Go to your brother. Be reconciled to him. Once you're on speaking terms with him, then you can come back and be on speaking terms with me. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It matters. It matters. It is impossible that offenses will come. In this passage, the Lord Jesus addresses the matter of offenses under three headings. I'll give you the headings, and then I'm going to verse number six. But the first heading is he talks about protection. 
Look at verse number one. It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him to whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. He says, be careful how you deal and treat with other people that you don't offend them. Be careful how you talk to them. Be careful how you handle their emotions. And the reason why is because God is watching how you and I deal with one another and God gets angry if you offend one of his little ones. Can I say it like this? God cares how you treat your wife. Not a lot of amens there. (laughs) Let me try this one. God cares how you talk to your little sister. Yeah, he does. God cares how you treat the minimum wage employee below you. One of the marks of Christian maturity It's how you treat the person that can't do anything in reaction. If you will watch how somebody treats somebody that is beneath them and cannot retaliate and can't get back, you watch how people treat people that they think are below them and that they don't need. That is a mark of Christian maturity right there. Go to the restaurant and listen to how he talks to the waitress. Girls, if you're on a date with a guy and he is rude to the waitress, I'm just telling you, he's going to be rude to you as well. Anybody can treat anybody good when you need something from that person, but character will respect the person who can't do anything for you. And so the first thing that Jesus does is he comes to the defense of the defenseless, the little ones. Little ones that can't do much for themselves. They're vulnerable, they're easily manipulated, they're weak. And Jesus says, Jesus says, be careful how you treat that person. You've seen an older person just berate a child and just make them feel so low. And maybe it's a father or something, I don't know. And the child just has to take it. I can't stand that. You, you, you've seen, you, you've seen, I'm sure, you've seen an ogre of a husband that just beats his wife into the ground and calls her names and always just putting her down. And she can't look you up in the eye because she's, she's lived for years under this monster and she, she's just so beat down. You, you've seen a boss that was a bully, haven't you? And, 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 and the minimum wage worker, they have to have the job. And, and so they just have to take the abuse and the tongue lashing and, and the blame for everything because they have to have the job. I'm telling you that God is on the side of the helpless and God stands up for the weak and the defenseless. And Jesus says, if you're going to do that to a little one, that what you've got coming back to you is going to be so worse that you might as well just go drown yourself in the sea. You know why he says that? 
It's because the Father will deal with people that's been dealing with you. Therefore, you don't have to. If God is going to take care of it, then I don't have to take care of it. If God is going to fight my battles, then that means I don't have to fight my battles because the only thing that I know to do is to try to get a pound of vengeance. But if God is going to handle it, that alleviates the pressure of vengeance off of my soul because vengeance is never good. Vengeance never resolves anything. A vengeance never makes for a peaceful end. And what Satan wants you to do is he wants you to strike out and say something, put something on Facebook and, and give a tongue lashing. But God says, why don't you let me handle that? Just let me take care of that offense. Now the preacher called me a few days ago and, and he said, this is what happened. And somebody said something about something that he did and it wasn't true. He said, I'm writing an email. I'm gonna send out a big, strong email. I said, I don't believe I would. Why don't you just drop it? Just, just, drop, just leave it alone. Just let God handle it. There's protection. But then I want you to notice that there is a purging. Look at verse number three. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. In verse 2, be careful you don't offend one of the little ones. In verse 3, now somebody's offended you. So we have gone from being the offender to being the offended. And it's not just a sight, it's not a misunderstanding because notice the word trespass. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, that means he's wrong. He's wrong in what he said. He was wrong to malign my name. He was wrong to make a false assumption. He was wrong to jump to conclusions. He was wrong to accuse me of something that I didn't do. He didn't have all the facts. He should have come to me first. He repeated without verifying. He is loose with the truth. He has trespassed against me. Now, now here's what Jesus says. If he trespass, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And I've underlined and starred and highlighted that word right there. So every time I read it, I make sure I don't miss, miss that. Rebuke him. Because <laughs> I got me a rebuke I've been working on for two or three days. Huh? Let me just go through the rough draft and finish it up. I'll have to edit it so I can keep my day job. But I got a rebuke. Huh? I, 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 mean, I mean, when somebody trespasses against me, I, I got a few things that I'd like to say. We might need an intervention when it's over, but I do have a rebuke for you. Huh? But the rebuke is not just letting off steam. That's not what it's talking about. The rebuke is gentle and it's gracious with the intent of reconciliation. I can rebuke you and be just as wrong as the person that I'm rebuking. The rebuke is to see if we can fix this thing, not make it worse. So, so he says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Confront him in love and grace because covering it up is not going to fix anything. Going home and dumping on your wife is not going to fix the thing. No, it's to go to the brother in love, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, man to man. Hey, man, you was wrong. That's why you were wrong. And I know you probably didn't mean it, giving you the benefit of the doubt, but you're wrong. And I don't want this thing to fester between us. So this thing needs to be right. And the hopes is, is that he will repent. Now, here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, if he repent, forgive. 
give him. And at that point, all the disciples standing around nodded their head and said, amen. John looked at Peter. Peter looked at over Bartholomew. Bartholomew, he nodded at Matthew. That's good preaching right there. That's the Christian thing to do. If he repents, we ought to, I'm going to write that down in the flyleaf of my Bible. That's a good quote for Twitter, right? I'm going to write that down. If he, boy, we're going to put that on a plaque and hang it on the wall. If he repents, forgive him. But Jesus wasn't done. So he says in verse number four, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Oh, come on. Really? Not seven times in a lifetime, seven times in a day. A day. So at eight o'clock in the morning, your phone rings. Brother Robbie, this is Bill from up the church. I hate to call you so early, but I, I got something on my heart. It, it's bothering me. And I've, I've been up all night about it. Brother Robbie, I, I need you to ask, him, ask you to forgive me. Last night, last night we was over at John's house and John was talking about you. And it was things I know is not true. But I already had a little ill feelings in my heart against you anyway because you don't let me sing on the platform. And I, I just bought into it and I agreed with everything he was saying and, I, and it was nothing but gossip. It was zip so false discord. And I've been up all night knowing it's wrong. I, I don't know why I did that. And, and brother, I cannot go on. But I wanted to call you first thing this morning and tell you, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have listened to what I listened to. I shouldn't have facilitated that. And I did. No excuses. I was flat out wrong. It was sin. Would you forgive me? Not a man in this room wouldn't say, oh, brother, don't worry about it. I forgive you. appreciate you calling me. It took a man to do that. I forgive you. Bygones be bygones. Never mention it again. Can't wait to see it church Sunday. 9.30. <laughs> Phone rings again. Brother Robbie, this is Bill again. I hope you don't have anybody in your church named Bill. <laughs> this is Bill again. Well, I, I, I feel horrible. I, 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 as soon as I got off the phone with you, John called me. And he had to, I hope you don't have a John in this church. Uh, and he, he started out, and, and, I, and I had just gotten off the phone with you, and I did not have the courage to say, hey, stop it. This is not true. Don't believe the rumors. Not take, but I, I, I did the same thing. It, it, it's my flesh. I'm weak. I, brother, I don't know what else to say. Except I am so, I am tore up about it. I am so sorry. Could you find it in your heart to forgive me again? I'm sure Brother Robbie would say, Oh, Brother Bill, don't worry about it. I forgive you. I understand. I forgive you. I don't, don't even think about it. 
10.15. I won't go through all seven phone calls if you're starting to get the pattern. Seven times in a day? After that third phone call, I'm not even sure you're sincere. I don't even think you mean it, to be honest with you. I don't know what the game be playing, but, but I ain't sure about this. I mean, Lord, Lord, I'm not saying I won't. I'm not, I'm not saying I will. I, 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 Lord, I, I'm not sure I can. Not sure I can't, but, but you're going to have to help me with this. Because by that third or that fourth time, I'm going to start running out of grace. I, I'm going to meet my quota pretty soon. Huh? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, he told Peter that the number is 70 times 7. We have now gone from addition to multiplication. And the idea is not that you have a marker and you just keep track. And when I get to 491, you're done, baby. That's not the idea. The idea is you just keep forgiving and you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving because if you don't, you're going to get offended and you're going to get hurt and you're going to get bitter and you're going to get vengeful and the only damage you're going to do is to your own soul. So Jesus said, no matter how many times and no matter how many times in the day, just keep forgiving. There is no other remedy. There is no other way to get that offense out. Disciples are listening to that seven times in a day. So in verse number five, the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. What does faith have to do with forgiveness? Somehow they saw a connection between forgiveness and faith. I would think increase my grace. I'm going to need a lot of grace seven times. Mercy, mercy. Lord, I don't have the mercy for this. Patience, patience. Never been called patient Tim, but I'm going to need a whole lot of patience for this. If I'm going to go to this level, if I'm going to be able to forgive this much, if I'm going to be able to protect my heart, that no offense take root, the disciples said, Lord, increase our Faith. I need more faith. I need faith to believe that God will take care of it. I need faith to believe that though the enemy rages, God will stand for me. I need faith to believe that it's good that I was afflicted. I need faith to believe that though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I need faith to believe that God will help me glory in my tribulation. I need faith to put my defense in your hands and not seek my own vengeance. Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart is a heart, have a heart that's not contaminated, it's not polluted. There's a lot of things that can pollute our heart. And among them are offenses and hard feelings and bitterness and all of these things. And we come to church and come to a great church. And everything is perfect at Capital City Baptist Church. But you can come to this great church and you can have a contaminated heart. And if somebody points it out, then you defend the contamination. Yes, I have a right to a contaminated heart. And if you sit down for five minutes, I'll tell you what they said. And I'll tell you what they did. And I'll tell you what happened happened 20 years ago and I know that my heart is not pure and I know it's not fresh and I know it's not sweet but I have a reason for it but you can't see God because you don't have a pure heart a few weeks ago we traveled up to West Virginia and 
buried my uncle, my dad's oldest brother, and my, dad, my uncle Jack preached the night 63 years ago that my dad got saved as an 18-year-old boy. My uncle and I have known him, of course, all of my life. And, and 50 years ago, my uncle messed up, got out of the ministry, had six kids, left his wife, left the kids, and married another woman, and they made a life together 50 years ago. And those six kids grew up resenting what their dad had done. And he was wrong. And it messed up their life for a while. And when it came time for the funeral, some of the kids didn't even come. They were afraid that if some of the kids came that they would raise a ruckus. Five minutes after he had died, one of the daughters posted something on Facebook, a long diatribe about her dad. Such anger, such, such bitterness, such contamination to live with for 50 years. And you can sit in one of the greatest churches in America, but have something in your heart and your heart is not pure and you can't see God. You can't hear him in the singing. You can't hear him in the preaching. You can't see him in the sermon. You can't see him when you come to church and you have your reason, but your reason is killing you. You have an answer for the offended heart, but the answer is killing you. Wouldn't you just rather see God? They say, oh, preacher, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they said. It is impossible. Can I remind you that there was a man that they beat him until he was unrecognizable as a man. They plucked his beard out. They blindfolded him. They slapped him. They stripped his robes off of him. They tied him to a post. They beat him until his entrails were exposed. They smashed a crown of thorns on his head. And then they drove nails to his hands and to his feet. And they hung him on a cross in that hot sun. And while he hung there. He didn't curse them. He didn't curse the children. But he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While they were killing him, he was praying for them. And no matter what they did, they could not contaminate his heart. His heart was just as pure the day that he was born in Bethlehem as it was the day that he died on Calvary. You can't make me hurt you. You, you can't make me hate you. You can't make me wish evil on you. You can't make me curse you. You can't make me want to get you back at you. Oh, there's got to be a purging. And they said, Lord, Lord, increase our faith to believe you when I'm hurting, to trust you when I'm doubting, that when things are not going right, to trust you anyway, when I don't see the plan, when I don't understand, increase my faith. But then in verse number six, he speaks of the prevention. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. There's two parallel passages. One's in Matthew 18, one's in Matthew 22. And in those two places, the Lord is talking to the disciples about their lack of faith to do the work, the ministry He's called them to do. And in those two places, the Lord Jesus says something very similar. If you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove thence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing should be impossible to you. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 21. So Luke 17, Matthew 18, Matthew 21 are three separate incidents. 
And to two of them, he says, speak to the mountain for it to be removed. But in both cases, the subject was not offenses. It was talking about faith to do mighty works. But now he is talking about offenses. You see that. And so he does not say mountain this time. Instead, this time, he says, speak to the sycamine tree. Be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea. And in Luke 17 is the only place in your Bible where you find the sycamine tree. It is not a sycamore tree. They are two separate trees. If you had faith that you could speak to the sycamine tree, cast it into the sea, pluck it up by its roots, and cast it far from you. Now understand that when Jesus said a sycamine tree, he didn't just pick out a tree by random. It's not like he could have said an apple tree or an oak tree. He specifically, in this case, says sycamine tree. When he says sycamine tree, he meant to say sycamine tree. And the reason why is because the sycamine tree becomes an analogy, becomes a symbol of what he's talking about. He's talking about offenses in our hearts. And so the sycamine tree becomes a symbol of that. Speak to the sycamine tree to be plucked up by its roots because that sycamine tree represents what really needs to be plucked up. And that's the hurts and the offenses. He's giving us an analogy of what he's doing. And so I thought, it's the only time that I see sycamine tree in the Bible. So what does this sycamine tree have to do with me? A lot of Bible commentators say that the sycamine tree is the same as the mulberry tree. That in the Middle East there was a tree called the black mulberry. It's kind of like a fig tree. And the black mulberry tree and the sycamine tree are identical in look. you, You hardly can tell the difference between the two. They are different trees. But it's very hard to tell the difference between a sycamine tree and a black mulberry tree. And both of them have a fig-like fruit. And here's how you tell the difference. The sycamine tree fruit or or the, the, the mulberry tree fruit is very sweet. And because it's very sweet, it's a delicacy, and so it's called a rich man's food. Only rich people could afford it. But the sycamine fruit looks exactly like the mulberry, except when you bite into it, the sycamine fruit is extremely bitter. And because it's bitter, it was very cheap on the market. It is known as a poor man's fruit. They said that the sycamine fruit was so bitter that you couldn't eat one at one sitting that you would just take a little nibble of it. And it was very tart in your mouth. And you could just chew on just a little bit and and then you'd have to come back and and, and get another little bite and just chew on that. And, And it left a very bitter taste in your mouth. And how interesting to me that Jesus picked out not an apple tree, not a peach tree, but he picked out a tree that was known in that region to have a very bitter taste. That's the first thing that would come in their mind. And offenses have a way of chewing on you and nibbling on you just a little bit at a time, leaves a little heaviness, you leave and you come back and you take another little nibble on it, then you come back and you think about it a little bit more and it just nibbles and it just chews away at you and you chew on that offense, you leave, you come back and you chew on it a little bit more and Jesus said that if you had faith in me that tree, that fruit that is leaving such bitterness and heaviness in your soul, you could take that and you could remove it from you. It's very bitter. I found out about the sycamine tree that the sycamine tree grows best in dry environments. It thrives in the desert where there's hardly no rain, no water. 
Now the palm tree has to have a lot of water. The palm tree has to be situated by the water. But the sycamine tree especially does best in a dry environment. You know what I find? It is hard for the offended spirit to thrive in a spiritually vibrant environment. When you are dry in your spirit, when your prayers have dried up, when your Bible reading is dry, when your praise is lifeless, when there is no worship, you're not going to want to be in a spiritually vibrant environment. That's why when people get offended, they start skipping and start coming in late and start leaving early, start standing in the foyer, start laying out because it's hard for that offense to fester and it's grow when everybody is happy and everybody's singing and everybody's praise it. But I tell you what, if you'll listen to some preaching all day long, get some good Christian music playing through the radio and start thinking about the goodness of God, it's hard for offenses to take root because it's hard for it to grow in a dry environment. This is what I found about the sycamine tree. I found it so interesting that in the Middle East, the most common use for the sycamine tree wood was to build caskets with. They didn't use the wood for anything else. But they used it to build caskets with. That's the preferred wood. So if you saw somebody go into the forest and cut down a sycamine tree, you could pretty much guess it's going to end up associated with death somehow. And if you keep that offense in your heart and don't let God deal with you, it's going to kill more than you think. The end of this thing, if it is unforgiven, if it is not dealt with, it's going to end in a casket of some kind. The hurt, the offense, the anger, the unresolved matter, the, the, the rebitterness of whatever it is, the devil's going to use that to kill your joy and to kill your peace, to kill relationships, to kill your walk with God. It's going to end in death somehow. Here's what I found out about a sycamine tree. The sycamine tree was known for its root system. It had a root system that was not only deep, but it was wide. And, and, and it was spread so far. And when it was spread and when it come in contact with other roots, it had a way of, of twisting itself around the roots of other trees. And, and, and it would essentially come where it would take over. The reason why Jesus didn't say mountain here is because a mountain doesn't have, offense, have roots, but bitterness and offenses have roots. You can cut it down, but you don't know that you got it all because the roots have a way of just popping up somewhere else. And when you cut down a sycamore tree, it's not the trunk that you you have to worry about. It's all of those roots. And if you let that offense, that, that hurt, whatever it might be, if you let that take over in your heart, it's going to entangle itself in a lot of other areas and it's going to run wild over relationships and over testimony and over the peace in your heart. And before long, there's not a single part of your life that doesn't have that somehow entangled in with it. And you pray and you can't uproot it. And you try to sing and you can't uproot it. And you come to the altar and you can't uproot it. That's why the Bible says, be careful lest any root of bitterness spring up defile you. When something is laying on the ground, it's not a part of you. But when it takes root, it becomes part of the ground. And bitterness takes part in you. And it becomes a part of you. It's not that you have bitterness in one corner of your heart, but it's that you become a bitter person and your life takes on a bitter taste. Can, can I tell you tonight that not everybody that has wronged you is going to come and apologize. 
Not everybody's going to make it right. They're going to go on singing as if nothing happened because in their heart they may not know that anything has happened. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to take some things to God and say, God, you have to take this off of me. If anybody's going to be miserable, I don't want it to be me. I don't want to be the person that's full of hate and anger and bitterness. I don't want to wrong people. I don't want to be wronged, but I don't want to get bitter when it happens. And if you can't work it out with a brother or sister, then you just got to work it out with God. And Jesus said, Jesus said, the only thing that is going to uproot the sycamine tree is if you have enough faith in me to trust me. I can uproot that anger and I can put some peace there. And Jesus said that I can take that bitterness out and I can put some love in there and I can uproot that hurt and I can put some healing in there and those things in your life that's all twisted and gnarly and all nasty. Jesus said, if you'll trust me and if you'll just give it to me and if you'll let me do a work in your heart, not getting right to them, but if you'll let me do a work in your heart, I uproot even the sycamine tree and cast it into the sea. Here's the thing about a sycamine tree. I'm done. The sycamine tree was a very large tree. They say the sycamine tree grew to an average of 30 feet high, had very, very wide branches. And because the sycamine tree was such a big tree and had such wide branches and so much shade that when they would plant a sycamine tree, that they would always plant a sycamine tree at the crossing of two paths. So when the traveler comes by and there's a crossroads and there's a sycamine tree to sit under and enjoy the shade and rest. And sometimes God brings you to the crossing of two paths. It says, which path will you choose? You can choose to follow the path of the offense and the hurt and the anger, and I'm not going to forgive, and I have my reason, and I'm not going to let it go. Or you could take the path of, Lord, I can't, but you can. And I trust you enough tonight to handle the things that are handling me. And I've tried, I've tried to make it right and convince, and I've tried to make them understand, but... But, but I want you to take this thing and root it out of my life. And all that I can do is commit my way to you and walk by your spirit and pray for your power and live by your word. But I don't want to follow this path anymore. I want to choose forgiveness. I want to trust you for my defense. I take the path of resting in you. You want to fix what you can't fix. You want to solve what there is no solution for. And the answer is not to fix it. The answer is given to Jesus. The answer is not in your solution. The answer is in faith in God. He may not fix it like you think he should, but he can fix your heart. And he can bring healing where nothing else can. It is impossible. But that offenses will come. Our Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts tonight.